Welcome to a God Shift podcast, where we move you from disruption and delay into a greater destiny, expectancy, and possibility. I'm your host, Shana Rattler, and I'm a minister, author, and sought-after speaker. Join myself and other leaders who unapologetically share their story of when their life collided with God's purpose and put them on the path that was designed for them. You will learn how to bounce back from setbacks, disappointments, and uncertainty, and unlock the door to confidence move into your next chapter. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of A God Shift. I am your host, Shana Rattler, and I am so thrilled that you are here. Before we get started, as always, I would love if you would do us a favor. Wherever it is that you are consuming this podcast, I just want you to take a screenshot. And with that screenshot, if you will post it on your social media and then tag us here at a God shift. And in that post, it's real simple. I just want to hear your biggest aha moment or your biggest takeaway from this episode. Why do I do that? I don't really care about the number of downloads. Honestly, I know it's over 10,000, but I don't know exactly how many. But I do it because I want people to recognize that whatever it is that they're going through, that there's hope on the other side of that. And the more times these episodes are shared then the more people that we can make sure that they discover God and that they discover hope. So thank you in advance for share, share, sharing. My guest today, I am so excited, y'all. When I I read this bio, like I don't even know if I will be able to get through all the bio because there is so much goodness that is packed in this. But I'm excited about this conversation. I am going to attempt to get through his bio without running out of breath or needing a glass of water, which I don't have next to me. And then we're going to get into what I believe is going to be a great conversation. A Berkeley PhD, my guest today is an author and professor emeritus of international business at UCI. For four decades, he has provided expert advice and training on international negotiations to executive groups at Fortune 500 companies and government organizations, including the U.S. Institute of Peace. In 2009, he was selected as International Trade Educator of the Year by NASBAIT International. He has published more than 60 articles in journals such as the Harvard Business Review, the Harvard Law School's Negotiation Journal, the Journal of Marketing and Management Science. His 10 books with partners have all been bestsellers on their respective topics. And y'all, he has written for literally everybody that's major, the New York Times, the LA Times, USA Today, Christian Science Monitor. He's he's done research and writing for the Smithsonian. Like, oh my goodness, I don't even know what to say. I could go on and (laughs) NPR, ABC, Good Morning America, all the things. He was a Navy SEAL in the 1970s and was a founding director and an advisory board member of the University of California Irvine Center for Citizen Peace Building during the last two decades. You've done it. Thank you. (laughs) I want to welcome to the show John Lawrence Graham. Yes. Happy to be here and happy to be talking to your folks there. Give us the 30 second version of what you do. But my God in heaven, you've done so much. There's no way you could distill that down into 30 seconds. What are you the most proud of that you've accomplished? Uh, Well, I'm the most proud of my family, of course. And uh, I've got uh, four kids and uh, they're doing great. So I'm really happy uh, about uh, fatherhood and being a father and having the family. Two of two of my kids are close by, so I get to see them. And uh, so I guess I'm most proud. My, uh, as far as work kinds of things, um, 
I really like my current book, Charlotte's War. Uh, it's so different from the things I've been doing, yeah. uh, the novel rather than uh, nonfiction writing. And so I'm real happy that that's out now and available. And, and uh, I get to make a lot of points uh, about peace and, and things like that in the book. You know, it's I'm so in awe of people like you, John, who use their left brain and their right brain equally. Like I'm a writer and I am a beast when it comes to nonfiction. I wouldn't even be able to begin to start <laughs> when it came <laughs> to I was at um, NRB last week. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and it is the largest convention for Christian media. And so for people who are media outlets or for people who are guests on media outlets, there's about 3,000 people there, over 200 vendors. It's all things Christian media. And there are people there that write screenplays and have written fiction books that have turned into movies. And my brain just doesn't work like that. I think I'm a great nonfiction writer. And I wish that I was a little more creative and had the gift of the right side of my brain. But I guess God said, listen, everybody can't have it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I want to um, lay a bit of context for this conversation. So the name of my platforms and the name of my ministry is a God shift. And yeah. my definition of a God shift is the moment a disruption in your life collides with God's purpose, but then that moves you into new dimensions of possibility. Because I believe that God is very intentional about the things that he uses to get our attention. But it, because it's only when he has our attention, can he really invite us into the life that he's had that he has planned for us. So I would love if you could share a time with us that you've actually had to overcome some level of disruption, some unexpected circumstance in order to get to all of those great things that you've done. Ah, okay. For, first, when my first child was born, um, that changed my thinking completely. Uh, I was, I was, I guess I was 22, maybe 21. And, um, all of a sudden, I had a responsibility beyond myself. I mean, I was married, but uh, that really changed my thinking and decision making. And I had to sit back and and uh, think in new, different ways. Certainly, um, another example was uh, shortly after that, I was going to be drafted. And uh, so I applied to officer candidate school in the Navy and got in. And all this was just cruising along with, you know, I've got the, the family now. And uh, we drove back to Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, I, I, my wife and daughter dropped me off in the parking lot at the Navy base to start the pro training program there. And I walked into, I said goodbye, and they were crying, and I was probably crying too, but don't tell them that. And uh, uh, and I was in the room with the other uh, new guys, and we're being yelled at, right face, left face, right face, left face. It was the first taste of military discipline. And that was the first time I had ever been, the first time in my life I had ever been in a place I just couldn't go. Yeah. I was there by law and the consequences of leaving, uh, walking out that room were too large. And so I had to really change my thinking uh, 
and how I felt and what my purpose was there. Um, associated with that was the first time I was assigned a platoon of men. And again, I had that fatherly feeling. I was responsible for the safety of these guys. And um, so I, I was uh, thinking deeply about that as well. So there was, those are some of the bigger points. Yeah. And what would you say you you learned during all of that? Well, I went from being uh, you know, a teenage boy, and I uh, say, uh, if you have teenage boys listening, uh, teenage boys make a lot of mistakes. I certainly made a lot of mistakes. Um, in some sense, the book is a little bit autobiographical because there's uh, a teenage boy character um, that makes a lot of big mistakes. But really, once you start having other responsibilities, then uh, you have to start thinking about other people and their welfare. And I think that's really important part of growing up. And for most, that happens around age 25. Um, uh, for males, that's when um, uh, uh, driver's insurance goes down because we're actually more responsible. Yeah. That's good to know. So my son just turned 26 ah. uh, a couple of weeks ago at the time of this recording. And all of the vehicles that he's had from 16 until now have just been, you know, vehicles that were passed down to him or vehicles that we could pay pa- cash for. And he's getting ready to go buy his first big car that will be financed. So I'm glad to hear that now that he's 26, <laughs> that insurance will take a break. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, God, God designed it, designed us that way. Yeah. Um, so to finally get it at about age twenty-five, and maybe you, you better were, if he did assigned it earlier. But right when you were when you enrolled into the Navy, you were how old? I was. Uh, let's see. Let me think. Twenty-three. And did you? Yeah. And you did not have children at that point. I, no, I did. I had a wife and, and a child. The only reason I asked is because, um, you know, you've, you've talked a lot about responsibility. And that's a huge amount of responsibility to not only be responsible for defending your country, but having an entire platoon of men that you're expected to be responsible for and to lead. And so what did what were you able to either at that time or in hindsight identify about yourself that put you in a position to be qualified to be that responsible at such a young age? Was it like past experiences? What can you kind of attribute that to? I um, I was lucky enough to have leader position, leadership positions in school, uh, in college in particular. When I was in high school, I was kind of a dweeb. But in college, uh, I was elected president of my fraternity uh, and I suppose that reflects some leadership capabilities. I guess the Navy saw it that way. So that's kind of what got me going in that direction. I also uh, ran for um, offices in, in uh, student politics. Yeah. All that kind of led to that. I think I kind of had a similar experience. I was always, I always, I can look back and say that I demonstrated leadership qualities even as a young child. And those, responsibilities were delegated to me as early as third grade. Now, part of it, I think, 
be quiet, you know, sit me next to a child that wasn't grasping it as fast as I could so that when I was done with my work, I could help them. I really think that they were just trying to get me to stop talking. But anyway, I digress. My third grade teacher, if you're listening right now, I get paid to talk now. You told me to be quiet. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I digress. And so one of the things that I believe is true, John, is that when God uses disruption in our lives, when he throws those unexpected circumstances at us, number one, he's very intentional about what he uses because he knows what it's going to take to get our attention. Like what it's going to take to get your attention won't be the same as mine and vice versa. But then it's really intended to be used as a tool that can move our lives forward. But what I found is that most of us have not been properly equipped, let me put it that way, to really be able to respond appropriately to those disruptions so that they can actually become that tool to move us forward and not keep us stuck. In your experience, because you've done a lot, like you've you've been in leadership roles in the armed services, you've taught training to Fortune 500 companies, government organizations, all the things what do you believe are some of the most common barriers that prevent us from really being able to use these disruptions as a tool and not become stuck? Hmm. I'd say the most important thing is uh, thinking about um, working together with other people in a lot of circumstances. One of my other books, I've written, all my books have a peace theme. Hmm. Uh, the novel Charlotte's War uh, certainly does. But um, one of the things I advocate is uh, peace through world trade. That is, when we're trading with other countries, um, that, that builds peace. Wow. So, and it does that in, in three ways. One is it creates interactions between uh, human beings from different countries. And we get to learn about one another's culture and circumstances in another country. The second reason uh, that trade works that way is it creates interdependence. So, for example, there's a lot of talk all the time these days about how we're going to have a war with China. That's never going to happen because we're, we have too much trade with China and a, a disruption there would, would be a catastrophe for China. So we're not going to be attacked by China. So the interdependence. The level of risk. Right. Yeah. And then the third the. Th the third thing is the most important, and uh, that is international trade brings creativity. So mm -hmm. you have people from different places with different ideas about products. Now, for example, who invented spaghetti? Well, you'd guess it the Italians, but it was really the Chinese, and they passed that invention along the Silk Road. So that goes on in modern days. If you look at your apple, there are parts from in that uh, from a lot of countries, including China. Wow. Wow. So, so break that down for me. So, so one of the things that you said is you think one of the things that keeps people stuck is not, is it not knowing how to negotiate? Is it not knowing how to find peace? Like what's the key takeaway for that? Well, the not knowing how to negotiate is really a, a key factor. Um, if you look at how people are trained in American business schools and law schools to negotiate, they're basically taught integrative bargaining, where what you're trying to do is find out what the other uh, people want. And that is important. But what we're in our current books, uh, one of the 
the titles is Inventive Negotiations. What we're trying to do is uh, get people to ask, how can we work together to make things better for both of us? And that's a very different conversation. If you look at Biden and um, and uh, uh, Congress trying to decide on the debt ceiling, for example, yeah. um, that would work a lot better under a couple of circumstances. One uh, is if they said, how can we work together and to make things better instead of this fighting across the parties? The other way that we know would work better is if more women were involved in the decision making. Because women seem to be more collaborative and more interested in uh, people and long-term relationships. And us American men kind of are trained to be tough guys. Yeah. The the negotiations, that often doesn't work so well. So how does that translate into everyday life? I started to say civilian life, but how does that translate into everyday life? So if there is someone that is listening to this episode right now and they're like, yeah, I'm in the middle of a disruption. I just had something unexpected come into my life. How do they, what are some of the of the things that could potentially keep them stuck instead of being able to move forward? Well, one of, one of the um, disruptions, if you like, and I'm going to answer your question, but, but I need to back up a little bit. Uh, I read the Bible. And for me, uh, you know, I heard sermons in church and that, and that kind of stuff and uh, listened and learned. But reading the Bible was a very uh, much an eye-opener. And the shift was when I turned the page to the New Testament. And all of a sudden, forgiveness is one of the key concepts uh, uh, in the New Testament, uh, not so much in the Old Testament. And so I think for getting along with other people in any circumstance, forgiveness is really key Wow. and trying to understand. And uh, if you look at, for example, the difficulties in the Middle East, um, they don't have that tradition of thinking about forgiveness. Uh, we've also done work in Northern Ireland, and there you have um, uh, two uh branches of Christianity, if you like, uh, fighting over things. But um, they have forgiveness uh, to uh, uh, think about. And that seems to have brought uh, more peace in that part of the world. Yeah. So forgiveness is a, a key concept. Yeah. Lack of forgiveness can keep you stuck. And I think they said, you know, like, Choosing not to forgive somebody, it hurts you more than it, it that it hurts them. It's like you taking poison, but wishing the person that you won't forgive would die. Well, the, the thing I like the most about God and Christianity is it's future oriented. I mean, no matter how badly you behave or mess things up, what really matters is the future and getting things right ultimately. And I really appreciate uh, that lesson from uh, my own religious experiences and, and training. And I th- so I think that's important. No matter how bad things are, um, they can get better. The other thing is imagination is important. We have to be able to imagine how things would be better. Yeah. And uh, that is another gift of God uh, that really separates us from all the other species, if you like, is we can imagine a future. I I like what you said about, you know, it it all being futuristic because the future is really the only thing that we can can control. We can control what we do now 
and how that impacts our future because everything that has happened is in the past and there's absolutely nothing that we can do to affect change behind us. But the things that we can do now and the realizations that we have now actually set us up for being able to have, you know, a, a better future. I never really looked at, you know, so many times we look at the Bible as a history book and I never really thought about it as like, no, it's really preparation for the future. Now, sometimes you have to be able to, you have to look back in order yeah. to be forward. But that's such a, that's such a great point that it's all about the the future, you know? Yes. And so I, I uh, really appreciate that. And the future demands creativity. That's another uh, big thing. The other uh, thing that I, I preach, if you like, I, I'm no preacher, but um, I preach is the idea that uh, coercion doesn't work anymore. We, uh, you know, warfare, violence, all those things, they just don't work. The coercion of women, for example, don't work. Uh, or ethnic minorities, or whatever you want to say, what works is trying to get along and work together for a common purpose. And so that's the kind of thing. Um, My mantra these days, if you excuse me, is um, the primordial persuasion was punishment. So that's what the animals used to do before we became humans. The first sophistication is exchange. So if we can exchange things um, and try to build positive relationships, and that can be interpersonally or internationally, yeah, uh, th- that's really the goal. Awesome. Well, John, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to share some more tips and we're going to talk a little bit more about your book. We'll be right back. Great. Thank you. All right. Technology. <laughs> Gotta love it. This episode is brought to you by the free guide When God Says Shift. Inside, you'll discover the four shifts required to reveal God's plan, to ditch disruption or delay, and get his blessings faster. Head to GodSaysShift.com to access it now. All right. Gotta love technology. It's great when it works. Don't tell my <laughs> work for a technology company by day. <laughs> but anyway, John, before the break, we were talking about, you know, how disruption can be used as a tool in our lives. But if we are not willing to forgive, if we're not willing to figure out how to get along with those ar- around us, especially those of aff- that have offended us. We didn't talk about that specifically, but you know, if we think that a person is the one that has caused the disruption or the trauma that we're experiencing, so if we're not going to forgive, if we're not going to learn how to get along, then whatever it is that we have gone through is really going to hinder our future. So if there is someone that is listening to this episode right now and they're like, okay, I get it but I'm still struggling to figure out like, how am I going to shift my life forward? What would be the best tip that you would give them? Well, I think the first thing is to recognize that God's disruption and other kinds of disruptions as well are going to keep happening. All the time. Um, it's, It's the changes in life. And in fact, uh, one of the things that um, I've taught and, uh, Research is creativity in negotiations and things like that. 
And creativity really can be disrupting uh, because of the changes. And so we just need to take those changes um, in a positive way and think through how we can help others get over the disruptions. But it's just part of being a human being. And uh, so it's almost, as you say, it's almost like a wake-up call. Yeah. Um, to be thinking about different ways to collaborate. Well, speaking of creativity, you've written a lot of articles, you've written a lot of books, your media has had over, everything you've written has had over 130 million impressions. So I want to hear more about this recent book. Okay, so Charlotte's War um, is a book uh, it's in this line of peace books. So I've written uh, books on international business and international trade because that creates peace or helps build peace. I have books. I have a book on uh, peace in the neighborhood. It's a book about uh, drugs and marketing and uh, some of the problems that are caused there. Uh, I uh, also have a book on multi-generational living that keeps peace in the family and gets families working together like they always have. Uh, but Charlotte's War is different from all the rest because it's my uh, first fiction book. It's a novel and it's about uh, five characters. Um, one is uh, Charlotte. She's born in 1926. She's a fictional character. Um, she is raised as a missionary's daughter in China. And um, her son, Jack, is a Navy SEAL uh, going off to war, and she's really worried about him. The other two uh, nonfiction characters are Henry Kissinger and Ho Chi Minh. And then the fifth ca uh, character is televisions. And television really influenced how that war progressed and how peace progressed during that war. So those are the five main characters. And it runs from roughly 1938 to 1972. And uh, covers the family, the extended family, Charlotte's extended family is uh, trying to get through World War II, the Korean War, and then uh, the war in Vietnam. And that, that's what the book is about. And it's got uh, many themes related to uh, peace and war, but it's also got some romance and some humor because uh, those things are important in life and trying to get along. And so I uh, try to add uh, some of that. Well, it definitely sounds like a very much needed book because at the time of this recording, I can't think of anything that the world needs more than peace. <laughs> yes, yes. Where where can we go if we would like to access your books? Do you have a website with the books? Yeah, uh, the best would be uh, if you went to grahamsbooks.com. Uh, Gramsbooks.com, or you can go to Amazon, of course. Okay. Any place, but Gramsbook.com presents all our books. I have two books for children, too. Oh, awesome. Uh, one is about, uh, they're both related to uh, multi generational living. One is about a, a grandfather squirrel that can't find his acorns and nuts. And so his grandson helps him. And the other is uh, a book of photography that is intended to stimulate creative thinking. And hopefully grandparents and grandkids will sit and go through that book and, and talk about some of the ideas. Well, and those are both listed, as well as 
the other books uh, that I've done in my career. Well, needless to say, you've written it all. You've written everything from training and negotiation to taking pictures. Like you've done it all. So you all go to gramsbooks.com and figure out which one is the most appropriate for what it is that you need. John, thank you so much for being here. This conversation has been so historical and enlightening and just applicable all the way around. So I appreciate you, everyone. Go get the books, share this episode. I pray that you will go back and listen to previous and future episodes as well. Everyone have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening to the God Shift Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And remember to put God first and everything will fall into place.